Well, good morning, Emmanuel. What's going on? So uh, I've, been I've been away for a while. <laughs> been about 45 days. And um, you know, if you're a guest with us here today, um, I'm the senior pastor. And what I did was I went away on this thing called a sabbatical. And a sabbatical is when pastors go away into the woods by themselves. They take long walks, they don't bathe, they don't shave, and they just seek God and they read the Bible. And so uh, that's what I did for the last 45 days. Now I'm back. And so um, actually, no, it's not, that's not really why I grew this beard. I grew this beard because I wanted to be on the production team at Emmanuel. <laughs> What do you think? No, I'm just messing around. So. Okay, how we doing? No, honestly, um, I did go on a sabbatical with, with my family, and uh, we had a wonderful time. And so, uh, just to give you kind of a little insight, we uh, spent, Jack and I spent a week alone in Florida, uh, which was way different than a trip. You know the difference between a trip and a vacation? It's a huge difference. Uh, on a trip, you take your kids, and on a vacation, you leave them home. And so, <laughs> night and day experience with my wife and I, we enjoyed our time there. And then our kids showed up, and first time they were ever on a plane by themselves. And uh, we picked them up from the airport, spent some time, had, made some great memories there, and then came home for a little bit, and then went to Michigan for two weeks at the end of the sabbatical. And I uh, didn't know how beautiful Michigan is in the summer. Holy cow. Uh, we had a little cabin, and I really, we really were secluded in the woods. I actually took a picture. This is the backyard of the cabin we were staying at. And I would make a fire every night. We'd cook, cook what we shot that day, you know, the squirrels, <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the... I have to learn how to take pictures the other way. They're getting on me. My team is like, can you just turn your phone? But anyway, so this is the, this is the, but this, these woods just totally surrounded our, our cabin there, and it was just a fabulous time. We spent a week there as a family together, and then I spent uh, about four or five days there by myself in silence and solitude, just kind of seeking God, and it was just a wonderful time. And so uh, I want to, first of all, just say um, thank you to our incredible team. Uh, I, I mean, our staff here did a fabulous job. Our speakers, Greg and Bill and Matt and uh, Jeff, you know, Jeff from New York. He used to be on staff here. Hopefully you guys uh, were here to hear Jeff. And then last two weeks, Michael Cast did a fantastic job. Um, do you guys appreciate Michael, just his insights? Really good stuff. And uh, just the rest of our team, in my absence, I, you know, I've heard nothing but great things, just, just continuing to, to serve everyone here in our community, and our church, and so I couldn't be prouder of them. And uh, I want to say thank you also to those of you who actually committed to pray for me and my family. Uh, I felt like God really answered your prayers and uh, feel restored, refreshed, refocused, and, and ready to pastor uh, this church into the future. And so thank you for that. I believe God answers prayer. And so continue to pray. I would ask you, don't stop. Uh, because I feel really, really full right now. Uh, that's kind of the word I've been using to describe. So how do you feel? People ask me in the community, how do you feel? I feel full. I feel, I feel just, uh, you know, ready to go and, and refueled and excited to be here. And so 
Um, yeah, thank you for that. I really, really appreciate that. You know, as, as I've been home for about a week, uh, people have been running into me, you know, mostly at Starbucks or somewhere else like that. Um, and, they say, and they say, hey, how, how did it go? Like, what, what, what's going on? And so how was your time? And, you know, in those moments, I really don't have time to explain, you know, 45 days of, of being alone and with my family. So uh, what I wanted to do today is just kind of pretend like, hey, we're just going to grab a cup of coffee and we're going to kind of share and talk and, and uh, you know, just do a little bit of a download on some things that God revealed to me. Uh, one of the things I didn't expect uh, to learn is uh, to how to shoot a BB gun, but we, I did. Uh, my wife got me a BB gun and uh, my son's already had a couple, so um, this is my BB gun. <laughs> so... Now, my, my rifle, my rifle shoots like twice as fast as, as, as their rifles do, of course, because I'm the alpha male. <laughs> I'm going to have the biggest gun, right? You know how it works? <laughs> so uh, we, we, we learned how to shoot bottles and, and uh, cans and all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, believe it or not, my wife has, has a, like, a better shot than I do. Who knew about that? It's like... All I did was show her how to do it. She's bang, bang, bang. She's knocking things down. I did shoot at a deer one time, but it was at its butt. It was at the butt. <laughs> and then after I thought, why did I do that? That must have hurt. <laughs> he didn't do anything to me. So, like, if any of you hunters ever want to take me out to the woods and hunt, eh, I don't think I could do it. It's like, they're not bothering anybody. So, we had bacon and stuff inside. We didn't need any food, so... <laughs> Anyway, we had a lot of fun shooting. Uh, we shot, that was a lot. So, yeah, um, I didn't buy any shoes, which was fantastic. You know, 45 days, no shoes. I thought you guys would like that. So, but no, on a serious note, um, I wanted to just kind of give you kind of a few thoughts that, that uh, I've, I felt impressions, thoughts that God gave me, and I feel like they'll be valuable to you, and uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing to you today. So let's pretend like we're just sitting down one-on-one at a coffee shop, and I'll just dive right in. You know, the, f- the first thought that I wanted to uh, give you or that I felt like God gave me was that life is a war. I'm going to start a little heavy here, so just kind of warning you. But this is, just, this is just how my sabbatical started. Life is a war. So where would you get that thought from? Well, early on in my sabbatical, I caught wind of a, a pastor that I kind of follow. And I read his books, and I look at his blog, and I f- listen to his podcasts, and he's got a big multi-site church, you know, four or five times bigger than our church. I think they've got... F- I don't know, 14, 17 sites. They reach about 25,000 people every single week. So this particular pastor and this particular church is very influential in America and very influential in pastors' lives, especially my life and guys like me and pastors like me who are trying to launch campuses and do these different things. And early on into the sabbatical, I learned that his elders had fired him. And I was like devastated what happened, you know, and so I didn't look too deep into the story, but I looked deep enough to figure out what was going on, and what had happened was that he had ended up, uh, you know, becoming, uh, abusing alcohol, and he was fired because of uh, his, his overuse of alcohol and behavior related to alcohol, and one of the things that was interesting about the whole situation was that his wife fully supported, fully supported the firing, which tells you a lot about uh, the situation uh, there. So I thought to myself, now wait a second. Man, I wanted to be like, I want to be like this guy, not like his personality, like I have my own personality, whatever, but uh, the work that's being done. Here's this guy who's doing the very things that, that I feel called to do and I feel like Emmanuel is called to do and he's at the, at the top 
he's at the top of his game, you know, he's in his mid-40s, and he's influential, and he's a conference speaker across America, and, and, and his elders fired him. And what he said later on, as I listened into the story a tiny bit, uh, he said, I began to trust in alcohol instead of Jesus. It wasn't complicated. He began to turn to alcohol to relieve the stress and the pressures of ministry, which are very real. And many of you can relate to that because maybe you turned to alcohol to relieve stress or take the pressure off from life or parenting or work or whatever. And so pastors are just like normal people. And what God, what God spoke to me in that time was that, hey, listen, you're trying to do things for God. You're, you're trying to do things for me. You're trying to advance my kingdom. You're trying to help people find life in Jesus Christ. And the devil's not going to just sit by and let you do it. He's going to attack you with whatever he can. He's going to hit you in your weak spots because life is a war. In Ephesians 6, Paul told us this. He prepared us for this. He gave us the insight. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil has, this word here is craftiness or deceitfulness. He's got, he's got these traps set up for you in your particular area of weakness, in my particular area of weakness. And we all have areas of weakness, don't we? Yes or no? Yeah. We have an enemy who wants to trick us and trap us and and lie to us. Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers. He continues, watch this, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Those are, those are powerful words. You ever turn the news on and you listen in and it's like, man, there's a darkness hovering over our world today. That's, that's the demonic forces of the devil. There's like, the, and there's like, there's different layers. There's like presidents and governors and mayors and <laughs> He continues against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Wow. This life, is, life is a war. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, Paul refers to the devil this way. Listen to what he says. He calls him the prince of the power of the air. When Jesus was talking one time about the devil in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus said he's the ruler of this world. He's real. He's real. And he wants to kill, and he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy if you're a Christ follower today, life is a war for you. The devil wants to take you out. When I was reading C.S. Lewis many years ago for the first time, Mere Christianity, uh, I'll never forget this quote. He said, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. Do you believe that? I do. Watching a pastor of incredible influence in our world today have his whole life come crashing down because of a weakness in the area of alcohol. Life is a war. The enemy is out there wanting to destroy my life and to destroy your life, which ironically is the whole reason I took a sabbatical, is to just take a break and be like, how am I doing? How am I doing? Is my, my mind straight, my heart straight, my emotions straight, my will, my choices? C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this. In fact, he's got a great book. It's a little bit challenging to read, but it's called The Screwtape Letters. It's all about spiritual warfare. If you've never picked up this book, I would encourage you to do that. It's, just, it's written from a unique perspective. It's act actually written from the perspective of the demons and how they're trying to trick and trap you. Very, very interesting. C.S. Lewis has also written a lot of children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody read them? 
recently, they've been, I think two of them were turned into a movie. I've been reading The Silver Chair to my children at night uh, in, the last couple, in the last week or so. It's, I think it's one of the best chronicles. And I love the story because it's a story of Jill and Eustace, and I won't give the whole story away, but two, two children from our world uh, are called into Narnia to try to find this prince, Prince Rillian, who has been taken captive by the evil princess or the evil queen. I can't remember her name at the moment. She has cast a spell over him. And for 24 hours, 23 hours a day, he's in this spell. And for one hour of the day, he comes out of it. But during that one hour, she straps him to a silver chair. And the children are trying to find this prince. And they've got to overcome evil. And it's just a picture. This is a children's book. A children's book about evil forces in the world. Yeah, it's true. Why does C.S. Lewis write this way? Because it's a reflection of the world that you and I live in. Does that make sense? So therefore, Paul says in, in verse 13, watch what he tells us. He says, therefore, in light of the fact that life is a war, I want you to take up the whole armor of God, like a soldier. Put on your armor, he says, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then he goes on to talk about a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness and shoes, you know, that are ready to share the gospel and the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And he's got this whole thing there. You can read the rest of it when you go home. But he means business. And so during this sabbatical, I just thought, I heard God say, not in an audible voice necessarily, but just kind of the way God speaks in that still small voice that sometimes sounds like your own voice. I heard him say, if you're going to lead this church into the future, you bet you have to prepare for warfare because the devil's not going to stand by and say, oh, you want to launch another campus? Oh, you want to lead people to Jesus? No problem. Here's some money. (laughs) He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. And so I, I, would, I would challenge you today. I would challenge you. Are, are you living as if life is a war? Are you waking up every day saying, oh, man, i got to put on the armor of God to withstand the schemes of the devil? I hope, I hope that you are doing that every single day. Let me share the second thing with you uh, that I felt like God spoke to me directly. And he said to me that uh, I don't have to hustle for my worth anymore. I don't have to hustle for my worth. Before I went on the sabbatical, I listened to a couple of podcasts from other pastors that have done a sabbatical, and one in particular, and uh, this guy took a sabbatical because he had to. His elders made him because he was kind of losing his mind. Great church, Athens Church, you can look it up, I think it's in Atlanta. And uh, the pastor said, you know, when he was on the sabbatical, he picked up a couple of books by an author named Brene Brown. I had never heard of her before. Um, and she doesn't necessarily write from a biblical perspective or a Christian perspective, although she's, she, she is a person of, of faith. Um, her, her theme is shame and the causes of shame and the responses to shame that men and women have in our lives. And she writes about how we're all really built to know that we're worth, that we, we, sh- we want to know that we're worth something, that we have value. And, but we live in a world that is constantly telling us we're not valuable, you know, uh, whether it's through the media, or through magazines, or through people in our life, we don't look skinny enough, or not tan enough, or tall enough, or strong enough, or we don't make enough money, or we're not a good enough wife, or spouse, or housekeeper, or whatever. There's just all these messages, and some of them just come from ourselves, that we just don't feel worth. And in response to the shame that comes through that, uh, that, that we, we, feel, uh, we end up feeling uh, invaluable. In response to that, we kind of attach to certain activities or things to try to gain our worth back. And for some people, it's our body 
We say, you know what, I'm going to really work on my body so that people think I'm beautiful or skinny or fit or sexy or whatever so that I can feel a sense of worth. For some of us, it's, it's uh, having a nice house. I'm going to be the person who has a really clean house. And when someone walks in my house, they're going to go, wow, your house is so clean. And then you're going to go, <sighs> it's, it's, it, we do this. It's like we're, we're crazy. It's, we'll attach to anything, you know. By the way, my father-in-law let me borrow a power washer yesterday. First time in my life. I wanted to power wash the whole house. I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling my wife, oh, we could do that. We could go up here and power wash that. And we could, because it just takes the, it's unbelievable what it does. So now I shouldn't have told some of you that because you get your value from a clean house. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> anyway, for men, for men, for men, because we feel shame, we don't, we're strong enough, we don't make enough money, we don't perform good enough in the bedroom or whatever we attach oftentimes to our job this is why when men meet men they say what do you do for a living (laughs) we want to know what you do because for men a big thing is well i'm gonna i'm gonna get value from my job and so i thought i had all that worked out in my soul not me not me i don't i don't draw value from my job i serve jesus i'm a pastor come on my motives are pure. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then I'm alone for 45 days, and I can't do my job at all. Like nobody's calling my cell phone. Nobody's sending me emails. There's no staff meetings to lead. There's no sermons to write. There's no sermons to preach. I've got nothing to do. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable feeling. I've never felt it before. And it was like I was naked. And I was like, well, who am I without what I do? Who am I without giving to people and helping people and serving and, and preaching? And, and I was like out there just hanging on a, you know, almost like off of a cliff. And I didn't know what my worth was. And I realized at that point that, man, I had really been using the church to speak into my worth as a human being. How unhealthy is that? And I'm telling you, church, you gave me a gift. Elders, if you're out there, I see you, Lance, sitting here. You gave me a gift because I don't think I could have gotten to that point without being alone and having nothing to do. I could have read it in a book, but I felt it. And so what I ended up doing is saying, okay, Jesus, I don't, am I worth something? Like, what is my worth apart from what I do? And here's what, here's what God showed me. He said, see how very much your father loves you. I'm personalizing this because I felt like it was to me. For he calls you his child, and that is what you are. And I heard God say to me, if you never preach another sermon, if you never launch another campus, if you never help another person find me, I still love you because you're my kid. You're my son. So, I'm not saying that I got it all worked out in there, but man, that was the huge surge forward in finding my worth in my identity as a child of God. And serving, serving from that place 
Serving you as your pastor from, the, from that place is <laughs> so much different from serving you from the place of, am I doing okay? How was my sermon? <laughs> you know, what, what was the offering like? What were, what, you know, we got to launch another campus because if we don't, we're not going to, all that stuff. No longer hustling for worth. Let me, tell, let me share the third one with you, I think, which I think is probably the one that will impact the way we do things actually around here uh, the most. And that is that God wants to be known. God wants to be known. Now, that sounds so, like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> uninteresting. But this is huge. Let me, let, me, let, me share, let me share a few thoughts with you. When something important has to happen in our life, like when, we, when, we have to, when, our, when our wives have to give birth to a baby or when we need a root canal or when we need someone to do a mortgage for us or something like that, we go to somebody with some specialized knowledge, right? We go to somebody who knows what they're doing, correct? Yes or no? Yeah. We go to somebody that, that actually knows how to deliver a baby. You don't come to the pastor when, the baby, when it's time for the baby. You know what I'm saying? I'll pray over the baby, and that's about it, right? You go to the, you go to the, the OB, right? So knowledge is important. Let me, sh- let me share a, a, a historical fact that just reveals how important knowledge is. Back in the 1600s, from the 1600s, from the 1800s, there's this thing called childbed fever, those of you who know history, you know about this. And what was going on is that there was a 20 to 25% death rate for women who were going into the hospital to give birth. That's unbelievable. Hundreds of thousands of women died just going in to have a baby. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. Hundreds of years, 100 years or so, more and more. And what was happening is that doctors were giving birth to this, to this baby, and then they'd go right into the next room, and they'd give birth again, and they'd give birth again, and they were not washing their hands. And they didn't have knowledge about germs. That was it. And their lack of knowledge of germs and infection was killing women by the hundreds of thousands. Childbed fever. Do you agree that knowledge is important? That what you don't know can really hurt you? And so I'm, when I say that God wants to be known, what I mean is we have to have knowledge about him. We have to know him and what he's like because that knowledge has a huge impact on this life right now and how we live it and the quality of life that we experience. See, what we're talking about when we talk about God is reality. The way things are. We're not talking about theory or philosophy or we're talking about how, what is Reality, it is God. God is the ultimate reality. So let me take a few uh, through a few passages that God revealed to me. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw God, and around God there were some angels there, and they were talking to each other, and this is what one angel said to another. Holy, holy, holy. We just got done singing that, didn't we? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is all the armies of God. God is the captain of, the, of a host of armies in heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, the glory of God is the magnificence of God, the beauty of God. It's what God is really like in his character, okay? That's the glory of God. And the angels say, because they can see, they have eyes to see, the glory, the the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. Now, some of us have eyes to see, and we have been trained to see the glory of God on the earth. Not all the time, but sometimes. In fact, I'll quote a verse to you, and some of you will know it. The heavens declare the the glory of God, Psalm 24, right? The heavens, oh, Psalm 19, sorry, yeah. So the heavens declare the glory of God. What does that mean? I can look up into the sky and see 
the stars or a sunset or a sunrise or a shooting star or something like that and go, wow, God is powerful. God is majestic. And, and the reason I can come to that knowledge of God is by the things that I have seen. You with me? And the angels say the whole earth is filled with the glory of God, if you can see it. The problem is people don't see it. People do not have a knowledge of God, an intimate understanding of what God is like and what he wants and what his paths are for the best life right now. They don't have that knowledge. But the prophet Habakkuk... (laughs) It's amazing. I spent some time in Habakkuk. I mean, did some of I mean, have you? Some of you have probably never heard of the book of Habakkuk. Did you know it was in the Bible? It's a, there's a book in the Bible. I'm only there once a year because of the one year Bible, <laughs> and then I go right through it in a day, and, and then we're on to the next book. But it's in these minor prophets, and, and so I'm in Habakkuk during the sabbatical, and God shows me this: for the earth will be filled with what? The knowledge of the glory of God as the waters fill the sea. See, Isaiah didn't say that. The, 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 the angels didn't say that. They said that the earth is filled with the glory of God. Habakkuk says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. In other words, at some point in the future, at some point in the, in the future, and this is God's plan, we're moving into the future here, the earth will be filled with the knowledge. People will know what God is like. They will know ultimate reality. They will know the path towards the, the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us. But not right now. At least in big proportions of our population today. Why? Because it's very simple. Romans 1 explains it to us. Romans 1 actually gives us an explanation of why the world is the way it is today when you turn the news on, local or global. In Romans 1, Paul simply says this, that God has made it plain for people to understand what he's like. And you can read it yourself when you get home. I'll just give you the summation. He's made it plain to them, his eternal power, his divine nature, his power, Godhead, all that stuff. And he's made it plain to people what he's like through the things that he has made. Again, a creation, things, things of that nature. But humankind has said, no, we don't want to, to uh, have, have you in our lives. Human, hu- mankind has said, no, we would rather worship the creation, the thing that was created, whether it be man or animals or other created things. So what, Romans 1, Paul says that, that man has exchanged the glory of God for the images of created things. And in verse 28, we get a summation of, of his argument. Listen to what he says. Furthermore, just as man or they did not think it worthwhile to retain what? The, yeah, it's not, it's not worth my time. I have better things to do. I'm not going to consider who God is and what God says. I'm not going to retain the knowledge of God in my mind, which is the most important thing for a human being. To, because why? Because knowledge of God is knowledge of reality, the way things are in the world. So human beings have said, no, I don't want that. I exchanged the the glory of God and the truth about who God is for something better. Worship of myself. I want to do what I want to do, whatever. And so look look what happens as a result of this, this choice that mankind has made. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. It's like God says, okay, if you want to ignore who I am, if you want to ignore reality, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you have your way. And I'm going to let you do things the way you want to do them. I'm going to give you over to your own desires to do whatever you want to do. And now look at the result of that. 
I want to read these verses to you in Romans chapter 1. Verse 29 says, Then, because they'd made this decision, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, which is wanting what other people have, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Does that describe the world that you and I live in today? Yes or no? It doesn't take a lot to understand why things are going so badly today in our world. Mankind has exchanged the glory of God and the knowledge of God. We didn't think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God says, okay, do things your way. And now everyone is doing things according to what they think is right. And there's no knowledge of reality. See, when we say no to the knowledge of God, all we have left is desire. That's all we have left. And our opinions. And the problem with desire is that, yeah, you can desire the right things, but you can also desire the wrong things. Anybody honest in the crowd today? <laughs> Potato chips. <laughs> I mean, the whole human condition is a struggle of desiring, trying not to desire the things that are bad for us, right? Vengeance, getting back at people, holding a grudge, right? Desire. You can't make laws on desire. Because we can desire wrong things. And we got bad laws in our land, right? Or then we're left with the opinions of, of the majority. If there's no knowledge of God, it's like, well, what does everybody think? What does everybody think? In the nation, in the country, what, what are we, what's the collective opinions? That's where we get political correctness. What is political correctness? You know what it is? It's, you know, it's kind of the opinions of like some people or a lot of people. But it's not necessarily truth. It's just like what people think. What's the accepted opinion among among a certain group of people. We get political correctness. That's where that comes from. When there's no knowledge of God, we're left with our opinions. The only problem with, with desire and opinions is that what happens if we desire something wrong and our opinions are wrong? Like, let me give you an example. Let's say the, the leader of a nation decides to really hate a certain group of people. Maybe like the Jewish people. And then the collective opinion because of propaganda and pamphlets and videos, the collective opinion of the nation says, you know what, you're right, those Jews, they're, they're the cause of all the problems. Let's kill them. You get a holocaust, right? Because people did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. That's the problem. You leave human beings to desire and opinions. They don't lead us around down the right path. That's not a knowledge of reality, right? That's evil, but that's the result of a, of a people who says no to the knowledge of God we don't want. But, but still, in the midst of all that, there's hope. There's hope. Because God says one day, through the, through the mouth of Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So I'm seeking the Lord on this and just asking him to show me more, show me more, show me more. You know, what's my plan in this? Like, what do you want me to do? And what's our people? What's Emmanuel going to do? And, and here's, what, here's what God shared with me. And it's in your notes there. God he wants to reveal the knowledge of his glory throughout the earth through you. That's what he wants to do. God wants to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory through me. That's my role. That's how you and I come into this story.
Jesus said one time in Matthew chapter 5, he said, here's the deal. I want you to let your light so shine before other people that they might see your good works, the way that you live, and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. What's he doing? He's bringing you into the story. He wants people to know God. How does he want them to know God? He wants them to know God through your life, through the things that you do, how you live, how you do your marriage. Did you know your marriage was designed to give people a picture of who Jesus is? Whoa. Well, that's a different way to look at things. I better stop arguing with my wife. I better stop, I better stop being a selfish pig, huh? Whoa. Yeah, that's the purpose of your marriage, to give people a picture of Jesus. Come on. Your good works, how you live, how you handle your money is supposed to give people a picture of the generosity of God. Come on, you can't spend it how you want to spend it. It's not yours. Come on. Right? Live your life in such a way that people will go, oh, that's what God is like. That's unbelievable. I didn't know he was like that. How did I get, it? How did I get that picture? How did they get that picture? Through my parenting. Oh, well, that changes parenting. I didn't realize that, and I need to parent my children in such a way that people will get a picture of the heavenly father and go, wow, I want him in my life. That's what Jesus said. When Jesus was on earth, he would do stuff, really, really cool stuff. Sometimes he would do stuff like walk on water, and sometimes he would just appear in a room, really cool stuff. One time, actually his first miracle, he actually, at a wedding, he changed water into wine. (laughs) It's amazing. He changed the elements of H2O and turned it into an alcoholic beverage. Fantastic. I mean, just who can do that, right? After he did this, watch what, watch what they say in John chapter 2. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he did what? He would do stuff, good works, for the purpose of revealing his glory what he's like oh oh so you're the oh so you're the type of god that has power over the elements of water like you can change the makeup of water and turn it into wine whoa one time jesus said to a storm and the winds and the waves he said peace be still and his disciples were in the boat and the waves were coming in and all of a sudden the storm stopped and they looked at each other like who 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 was he like what was that Like, who can talk to the winds and the waves? Who has power over a storm? Like, who is this guy? Right? He was revealing the glory of God. He was revealing what God was like. And look at the result. Watch this. Look at the result. And this is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking for. As a result, his disciples, say it with me, believed. They put their faith in Jesus because they realized what he was like. They, 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 they came to have a knowledge of God. Can I ask you a question today? It's a hard one. It's a hard one. You prepared? You ready? I like to ask hard questions. I ask them of myself first. Does your life make it possible for people to know God? I'm not talking about what you say you believe. You believe in the virgin birth, the trinity, the deity of Christ. I'm not, I'm not talking about what you believe. I'm talking about the way you talk to your children. I'm talking about how patient you are with your spouse. If someone were to follow you around for about 24 hours, 
as you go through the normal stresses of life and the grind of life, would someone go, oh my gosh, Jesus. If you were to say, Danny, if somebody followed me around for 24 hours, they might become an atheist. (laughs) (laughs) We got some work to do. You know what God's plan is? God's plan is to create a community of people, not one, a community of people that are transforming from the inside out, becoming like Christ, demonstrating a consistent flow of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, such that others are, are, are looking at this and they're going, wow, the love of that people The care of that group of people is irresistible. I want to be part of it. We're not preaching at people. That's been tried. People don't want to be preached at today. They want to see something real in my life and in your life. And we won't be able to have enough seats in this place if my life is being transformed and your life is being transformed. People are going to see our good works and give glory to God who's in heaven. Now, normally I close by saying, hey, if you don't know Jesus, you know, I'm going to say, invite you to say a prayer, but I'm going to do a little differently today. Um, I'm going to say this. If you could say, Danny, you know, I don't, I don't, I've never really brought my life under the leadership of Jesus. He's not really in charge. I don't run my decisions past him. Um, He's not really my boss. If that's where you're at today, and if you say, man, if somebody followed me around today, I don't even know if they would, if the word God would come up, if they'd see anything Christ-like in me. If that's where you're at today, I'm going to invite you to become a Christian. That's right. I said it right. I'm going to invite you to become a Christian. Because being a Christian doesn't mean you said a prayer at some point last week, three weeks ago, a year ago. It doesn't mean you said a prayer. Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, help me to go to heaven when I die. That's, 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 it, that's not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means that I have brought my life under the leadership of Jesus. Imperfectly, not perfect. But I've brought my life under the leadership of Jesus and I'm now giving him access to every part of my life. My thoughts, my choices, my decisions, my actions. I've declared him to be Lord and Savior of my life. That's what it means to be a a Christ follower, to obey him in all things, right? And so if you've never made that decision, I'm going to invite you to become a Christian, to bring your life to Jesus and say, "I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you holistically, not in my head. I'm not acknowledging the fact that you just simply died on the cross 2,000 years ago and became my savior. You died for my sins, although that's included in the whole deal. But I'm going to bring me to you for forgiveness of my sins, and I'm going to surrender my life to you. And so if that's where you're at right now, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you feel led to do that by God, step into this moment in faith. Pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you today, mind, heart, will, 
desires, emotions, my body. And I bring myself to you, all of me. I'm trusting in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross to forgive me, but also to redeem me and transform me and change me from the inside out. So I'm coming to you today holistically. All of me, I give over to you. Help me to follow you, obey you, surrender to you. So that when others watch my life, they can see a picture of who you are. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer, um, one of the tools that God uses to transform our life is the word of God. Paul said one po- at one point in Romans 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so if you prayed to receive Christ today, there are Bibles back there to my right and to my left. If you've brought your life under the leadership of God and you want to live with God, go grab one of these Bibles and begin reading each and every day and just taking it in, taking the, the substance of the word of God into your heart and mind, asking him to transform you. You guys excited about this? This is, this is exciting. I want to move forward into the future, presenting people an opportunity to enter the kingdom of God, a life with God. Does that include eternity? Yeah, sure. People go to heaven when they die. Sins are forgiven. But it transforms hearts now, marriages now, emotions now, depression now, fear now, discouragement now. There's a life available to you right now that is abundant and beautiful if we step into it with God. And that's how we're going to move forward. Is that cool? Awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Help us to see life as a war. Help us to understand that every day we need to put on the armor of God. Help us to find our worth in the fact that you declare us through Jesus Christ to be your sons and daughters. And God, help us to live with you in such a way that others might see our lives and get a clear picture of who you are. We love you. We worship you. I hope you are pleased with what was said and sung and heard today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you. See you next week. Bring a friend.